0: 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, He would be the Prince of Peace. Mike, it's not fair that they put worship orders together and they don't clear them with me in advance. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, every time we turned the radio on as our daughter fought her losing battle with cancer, that was the song that was playing. And 15 years later, I'll tell you, it's still true. He is a great God. The angel choir filled the night sky with this repeated song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Peace on earth, it's the often repeated theme and it's the longing of every single human heart. A recent social media post read like this I was excited about the closing of the year 2021 and the promises of the possibilities that lay before me in the year ahead until someone reminded me that 2022 is actually pronounced 2022. <laughs> Anxiety levels seem to have reached a historic high. Reports indicate that as many as one in five individuals are living with an anxiety disorder. Mental health specialists report that as many as 300 million individuals around the world are struggling under these issues. The most unsettling of these statistics is that the anxiety levels are the greatest among the people who are the most affluent. And now we're arguing for a four-day week so that we can work four and worry three. The more you have, the greater your anxiety. Yet issues of fear, despair, darkness, and anxiety are not new to our times. In the anatomy of melancholy, the researcher writes, he dare not come into company, for fear he should be misused, disgraced, overshoot himself in gestures or speeches, or be sick. He thinks every man observeth him, published 1621. Or as he says in 25 Rules of Aging, everybody's not thinking about you, they're just thinking about themselves just like you are. (laughs) The heart of man has long sought for peace, something that would be lasting, enduring, and unshakable. Peace is a frequent topic throughout the scriptures. In fact, I told Linda this morning that I could actually preach a six-month series, a topical series on peace. It appears 356 times in the Bible. That's the ESV version, 429 times if you have King Jimmy. 237 times alone in the Old Testament. 30 of those occurrences are found in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah the prophet says here am I send me and he says you need to understand you're going to go to a people you're going to preach your heart out and they're not going to believe you're going to call them to turn and they're not going to turn the spanking of the Lord awaited them over the horizon and yet 30 times he speaks of the reality of peace. It appears in every book in the New Testament, except for one, and that's in 1 John. It was a favorite greeter by the Apostle Paul. He begins grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says it in Romans 1, in 1 Corinthians 1, in 2 Corinthians 1, in Galatians 1, in Ephesians 1 in Philippians 1, in Colossians 1, in 1 Thessalonians 1, in 2 Thessalonians 1, in 1 Timothy 1, in 2 Timothy 1, in Titus chapter 3, in Philemon chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the closing of the book of Hebrews, the author of whom we do not know and the book we'll return to next Sunday. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, even Jesus our Lord. And in the middle of the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus writes, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It was a favorite greeter of the apostle Peter in chapter 1 of 1 Peter and chapter 2 of 1 Peter. He writes, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Suddenly we're getting a hint that this peace that the human heart is longing for is somehow related to a person. In 2 John... The Apostle John writes, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, his Son. Third John, peace be to you. And finally, the 66th book of the journal, Revelation chapter 1, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, by definition, peace in the world is the absence of something. It's the absence of conflict. It's the absence of trial. It's the absence of an unsettling situation or circumstance. But biblically, peace is the presence of a person. In the world, it's the absence of something. In the Bible, it's the presence of someone. Rightly did the prophet declare the coming one would be called the prince of peace. He said in the 26th chapter of his book, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord is an everlasting rock. One of my favorites. I we we drove down to family gathering yesterday. I drove past, and suddenly the the Lincoln Journal Star building is is only half there. The other half is now gone, and Linda sort of passed it, and said, "So what happened to the Lincoln Journal Star?" Well, <laughs> social media, basically. One of my favorite ads they ran was many years ago by a dear pastor friend of mine who they later changed the name of the church, but at that time it was the Church on the Rock, and they put an ad. I can still close my eyes and see the old newspaper, and down in the right-hand column on the right-hand page, uh, they they were going to a different location for their weekend gatherings, and it simply said, the Church on the Rock has moved. (laughs) I got a hold of Jerry and said, Lord, tell me that isn't true. As we close out what has been a year of unsettling for so many and step over the threshold of a new year of opportunities and challenges. And I had initially written, I think, a rather eloquent introduction, rehearsing the trials and traumas and the fears and the changes and everything that's happened in this last year. You know, and then I finally said, no, you already know. You already know. You you know what it is that's causing your soul to be unsettled and fearful. And then, you know, as Kathy arrived for worship team rehearsal, she tells me that her mother-in-law, and my dear friend Betty, went home to be with Jesus at two o'clock this morning. So many of you, many of you, said farewell this year to loved ones, and all of a sudden you, you're very much aware that life is short and eternity forever. My own mom at 95 went to be with Jesus in March of this last year. At age 95, at Linda's response, she just looked at me and said, gee your family lives a long time, I'm stuck with you for quite a while, aren't I? <laughs> it seemed rather feeble to attempt any highlighting truths from the 356 various biblical texts we should simply look at one of the most comforting passages in all of the scriptures. It was for the troubled soul facing the anxieties of an unsettling world that the shepherd king penned the most loved psalm of all. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 23. Only a fool would attempt to preach a year-end New Year's message from Psalm 23. I am a fool. What I thought I would do, if God allows, is simply give you some new hooks to the most familiar psalm that perhaps when those moments of unsettling reports or fears rush in on you and we come to 2022, that you'd be able to simply open in the middle of your Bible to this one and read it again. And maybe for some, it will come alive as it never has before. The writer is a shepherd, is David. says in Psalm 78, I found David, the shepherd king, in the sheep fields caring for the flock, and I called him to shepherd my people, the nation of Israel. That shepherd, first-hand experience, writes, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. He chooses the title that God gave for himself in Exodus chapter 3. When he's called Moses from the burning bush, and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, you let my people go. And Moses said, okay, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? He said, tell them I am has sent you. I am who I am. He is the eternally always existing one. His name is Jehovah. It's his relational name. David said, the Lord, Jehovah, is my shepherd. The master shepherd understood his own personal need for someone to shepherd him. He alone, this shepherd, is fully and uniquely qualified to manage us. The role of a shepherd is not just simply to hang out in the fields with the flock, but it is a it is the family's investment it's their 403b it's it's all they have for the future it is a business endeavor it takes unique skill and ability to care for a flock to keep it healthy and productive and income producing only jehovah is uniquely capable of managing our lives. I spent 21 years trying to manage my own life. I'm not a good shepherd. It takes a special one. His skill and his understanding so far surpass anything you and I understand. You see, he 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 looks at the big picture, that's, a, that's the blessing in this last year with all of the changes and all that. It was like someone said, how, "How did you? How were you able to get so old?" And the answer was, "It just refused to die." You know, you just you his. So as you get older, you see things from a broader perspective. And what was unnerving and unsettling and frightening and unmanageable in my teens and in my 30s suddenly kind of fits in to the flow of a wise life manager. And it starts to make sense because he sees the end from the beginning and he he arranges the trail from here to there. Sorry, it's. I only get to do this once today, so you're getting, you're getting a double, double load. <laughs> to claim the Lord as one shepherd is the supreme act of faith. Jehovah is my shepherd. When it gets really dark this year, when you go down the rabbit hole, and it starts to close in, and you're not sure you're going to come back out. Just repeat one line over and over, and put the emphasis on a different word each time. The Lord is my shepherd, because there's only one. The Lord, the relational God of creation, is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The ultimate expression of faith. The Lord is actively present shepherding me. The Lord is my shepherd. To be claimed by the Lord as one shepherd is the ultimate act of grace. Years ago, Ann Graham Lott preached to ladies, not men, over at Lincoln and A few of us were allowed to listen from the hallways. She closed her message with this. The question is not, do you know Jesus? Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they go, I never knew you. She said, the question is not, do you know Jesus? The question is, does Jesus know you? The supreme act of grace is that Jehovah, the shepherd, claims me as his lamb. Therefore, I shall not want. You see, shepherding is a full-time job. It's 24-7. There's no room for it to be a side hustle for anybody. It's, 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 it's your life. It's all you're called to do. You give it your everything. Shepherding doesn't earn PTO hours. Shepherding doesn't accumulate vacation schedules. Shepherding doesn't work a four-day week. Shepherding doesn't hang it up at 10 o'clock at night and pick it up at 8 o'clock the next day. The reason that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want, is because his whole mission as a shepherd is to meet my every need. I need food, I need water, I need shelter, I need direction. It's his 24-7 calling to meet my need. Therefore, I have no wants. Linda's mom was a master at crossword puzzles. There's an interesting thing if you're into crossword puzzles, which I'm not anymore, but it's like the, the four-letter word is interchanged with if if the... If the suggestion, hopefully, this isn't ruining your afternoon, but it is, if the word is want, the answer is need, and if the word is need, the answer is want. He does not say that he provides everything I want; he promises to provide everything I need. And you see that the mark of a healthy flock is their spirit of contentment. It's the knowledge that their loving, sacrificing shepherd knows what they need and is already making preparations to meet it. Therefore, they have no wants. He makes me lie down in green pastures. One of the characteristics of sheep as you know, they're always called dumb. Well, they're smarter than we probably think, but they have this tendency not to think with the human rationale, of course, is they quite honestly don't know when they ought to rest. It's just not built into them. So it takes the shepherd to say to the sheep, "You need a little rest." Perhaps some of you got, got the COVID kicked out of you for 14 days this last year because this good shepherd knew you're not smart enough to take a break. You need some rest. So when, when, you're, when you're quarantined in a hospital room and your business is spinning its plates on its own, and you're you're, you're trying to micromanage from behind the scenes, come back to the psalm, and he makes me lie down. It could be that the good shepherd knew it was time for you to take rest. And he lays you down in green pastures. Green pastures don't just happen. In, in Israel, it is, it is hot, and, and it, it is arid, and it is dry, and the only way there can be a good, a green pasture is if the shepherd has gone before and cleared the ground, removed the rocks, the stones, has prepped the soil, and has scattered the seed. As a result of that, he knows where the green pasture is and so he leads you there and when you get there feeding yourself to the full like we did the last two days and are going to do for the next two days is is very easy because you don't have to go around and scrounge for something to eat it's just right there and we eat it and the shepherd now that we're full trip the fan in the grass we go to sleep When the flock is resting, it is a testimony to those who are watching that He is a good shepherd and His sheep are satisfied. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep need a constant intake of hydration. When David was a shepherd, there were three likely sources for that hydration. The first was, get the flock up early in the morning and get them out of the fold and into the field before the sun dries the dew on the grass. Much of their hydration came early in the morning. And you know that you're aging when your baby sister turns 70 and she lives in a time zone that's behind us, and I sent her at five o'clock our time this morning a happy birthday greeting, and immediately she responded, which is four o'clock her time, and I said, you're definitely crossed the line. You are now old. (laughs) And she said, we're of the generation that sees the day in the morning. We used to talk about doing a sunrise service, and I don't pick it on the millennials and those younger, but we said, if we were gonna do that, we'd have to start it at 10 o'clock. You see, I, I, there is something about feeding the soul and hydrating the soul that can only happen before the chaos of the day begins and before the arid drying of the sun begins to bake it to a hardness. They get up early in the morning while there was still dew on the grass. The second way was from a deep well. You remember that uh, when Jacob was looking for a bride, that they, they had waited till all the flocks came and then they removed the stone cover from the well and they drew the water out. It was laborious. And if you have a large flock, it was a repeated exercise of love and care. There's a deep well that requires a utensil to to lower it on the rope to draw it out in order that you could pour it into the trough so that the sheep could one after the other be hydrated and satisfied. But the third is by streams or rivers. But the problem with sheep is that they, they are very sensitive to movement. They're Their equilibrium, their balance is not solid. And so moving water will cause them to become dizzy and they'll just kind of fall in and fall over. And so the wise shepherd has to do the labor of channeling the flowing water into some kind of a reservoir to the side so that when the sheep come, they can drink to their full need and, and not lose their balance, as it were. He leads me, not beside waters, He leads me beside still waters. Our God knows us well enough to know that sometimes, sometimes He needs to just dig a diversion and take us to the side where we can satisfy again our souls. It's interesting, in Isaiah 55, it's repeated again at the very end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, where the voice of God is, come all who are thirsty, and drink freely of the waters of life. The Good Shepherd is inviting you to come. He restores my soul. Restoring the soul. It is it, when, uh, oftentimes, because of the uneven terrain and all, uh, a sheep will will fall on their side, and and oftentimes they end up upside down. It's called uh, the sheep has been cast. It 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 finds itself. It's 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 top heavy. You know, like a like an SUV with monster truck wheels on it or something. You know, don't go around the corner too fast, or you're going to do that. Well, sheep are like that, and because they're kind of little skinny legs and big and and, uh, they they tend to topple and when they topple they can't get themselves back up and the wise shepherd who is always scoping the flock sees these four in the air and he comes to them and, and if they've been there too long, uh, the blood has drained out of their limbs that they're beginning to experience rigor mortis, it's setting in, and he, he gently, and you know what it's like when you've had your legs crossed for too long teaching piano lessons, and you get up and one leg's asleep, and you're, you're doing that well. So it is with the sheep, and so he stands them up, but he doesn't just walk away, but he, he rubs the life back into their legs. That's what it means that he restores my soul. When the hardness Is setting in, when signs of death are slowly moving in on my soul, his gentle hands rub the strength back. It's amazing what the medical world has been able to develop in order to address the many, many ailments of humanity. Medical world and scientific research can do phenomenal things. But they cannot restore a dying soul. Only God can restore it. He, Jehovah, my shepherd, restores my soul. And now is my strength restored he leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, the son of David wrote three volumes that are included in the 66. And one of those is the book of the Proverbs. And uh, if you read the book of the Proverbs, I, let me encourage you, the year that's just ahead of us, to apply this truth along with other soaking in the beauty of the book. Commit to reading the proverb of the day. So on January 1, read Proverbs 1, and January 2, Proverbs 2. Do that 12 times this year. You'll be through the book of Proverbs 12 times, and you'll have food for the soul. Not every day will one or two of those verses jump out, but you will find repeatedly that the Spirit of God saw you coming and set the table before you got there, and He speaks to your heart. But the first time you read through it, look for only one repeated word. Path or way. A path or a way. You see, life is a path. It's a way. He leads me in paths of righteousness means that He maps out my journey before me. He has determined my destination. And to de- And to arrive at that destination, he has determined the direction that his leading will take. Linda and I were reflecting on Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham was found by God in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in the Persian Gulf region. And God says follow me and I will make your name great. I will bless you through you. All the nations of the world will be blessed. And he led him about 600 miles north. And a few years ago, I did a seminary class on Bible survey based on uh, maps, geographic maps, topographical. Why did they go that way? Well, if you look at the map, you realize, you know, there are valleys and easy places and there are hills that are not. So he, he leads them to Haran and he leaves them there, obediently following him for 25 years. And then Abraham's father dies. Abraham has become extremely wealthy in that period of time, and wouldn't you know it? Just when they're starting to experience a sense of comfort and home, he says, "Pack it up. I want." It. And he leads them 500 miles over uh, to the area that is today known as Israel or Palestine, and he settles them there. He he knows the destination and he determines its direction. My responsibility is simply to trust him and follow him. Or as Tom the Greater would say, it's to trust and obey, simple as that. Not to sit down and ask him to explain where are we going? (laughs) And have you thought about this other way? he's the shepherd I'm the sheep he knows where he's taken me he knows what his ultimate plan is for me but he also knows the best way it's paths of righteousness which means they are the paths that lead to that which is right before God simple as that that's what paths and way shows up over and over in Proverbs. But he does it for his namesake. I, I grew up in the Platte Valley and the Sandhills and that, and 4-H is big there. And uh, you know it, 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 as a teenager, you, you, you choose an animal and then you groom it and you train it and you, all of that. And you have these contests and you go you go to the county fair and if you win that, and then you, you, maybe you get to the state fair and you win. and then, So you have, you have loved on this animal for an entire year. You have met every one of its needs. You it was like, you know it eye to eye, you know, you, you have this relationship with it, it has a name, it knows your voice. You get whatever color of ribbon you get, and then they put your loved animal on the auction block and somebody buys it, yeah, to make pet food out of it or something. I mean. Talk about going to the heart. <laughs> While they praise the animal, the person that is being rewarded is the husbandry, the caregiver. You see, the wonder of a flock at rest and at peace with a spirit of contentment and a smile of satisfaction on its face is testimony to the skill of the shepherd. He leads us on these paths because his shepherding reputation is on the line. He's got a vested interest. We're not a side hustle to him. We're not a second or third income stream to him. We are his life. And he does it for his glory. Therefore, all his paths are good. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In the context, the flock that stays too long in the lower lands, it, it becomes hot there, arid there, difficult there. The grass has been consumed and, uh, and, and, and the waters are drying up. And the shepherd knows that for the health of his flock, he needs to take them to the cool breezy meadows higher up. But there is only one path between the lowlands and the peaceful meadows higher up, and that means going through a valley with shadows and rocks and genuine, authentic dangers. Wild animals and robbers and all kinds of things hide in there, but there's only one way to get there, and that is to go through the valley. So even if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we can do it without fear. Places are, valleys are places of fear, dread, and uncertainty. They are divinely ordained departures from your daily routine. They are unexpected detours in your well-laid life plan. They're necessary for escaping the relentless, drying out sun of the heat of the lowlands. Five principles. The shepherd planned the trip. Valleys are prearranged passages to higher blessings. The shepherd designed it to be temporary. When our daughter died, I think I read about every book by a Christian author on death and heaven and all of that. Some of the lines of those are memorable. One of them is this. When he calls us to walk through the valley of the shadow, he says, though I walk through the valley. And the question is, how do you get through the valley? Just one step at a time it's temporary this too will pass everything in your life is momentary on this side of home third our fear is far greater than the reality you see shadows are simply images without substance it's It's dark there. Why is it dark there? Because the sun is blocked for a moment by that overhang. Yeah, but I'm I'm not asking you to go through the overhang. I'm just asking you to go through the shadow. Oh, yeah, but I I can't see very well where I'm going. And the answer to that is that the shepherd is always there. You see, the the shepherd never does an exploratory trip. I'm a curious traveler. Since we moved in April up to the other side of town, I can't tell you how many routes home I've been able to find, you know. And if Linda ever breaks down in the car, I know exactly where to find her. She never deviates from anything. But, you know, you miss out on so much of life so, when we go places, I'm usually like, well, we ought to go there, and she'll say, well, why would we go up that street when there are five police cars along the curb? I say, because they're protecting it, so we can go there. It just doesn't make sense to my human mind. In this case, it's like, he doesn't send us in there, he goes in there with us to bring us through there. Shepherd's always there. He never asked us to walk alone. A lot of you have been honest about last year. It it felt like many times you were all alone. It just felt like God had failed to pay his phone bill and they had shut it off and you were dialing and calling and nobody was home and... You never walk alone. But fifth... Our good shepherd is always able to bring us through. In the middle of it, when it feels like it's going to go on forever, the answer is this. He will always bring you through. His part is to show us the way by walking before us. He has checked it out before he took us there. I'm adventuresome and sometimes I'll go where I've not been and I should not take others with me when I do that. When I was a youth pastor, I was a dangerous tour guide because I'd just take a whole group of young people into places we probably should not have gone. (laughs) His job is to show us the way, and he can show us the way because he went there first, checked it out. But secondly, our part is to walk in that way, to trust him and to obey. Now, I want you to notice in your Bible, and I hope you make the change In the first three verses, He has talked about, He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. And then you come to the fourth verse, and He says, For you are with me, your rod, your staff, you prepare, you anoint. There's a change here. The point is this. There are times when we should talk about Jesus. But there are a lot of times we should be talking to Jesus. The book of Job, was said, City Light invited me to preach all 42 chapters in 35 minutes last summer. And the interesting thing is, is that there was a lot of talk about God in the life of Job by his friends. But then God just kind of cleared the room, and it was just God and Job. As Job said, if I had just have an audience with God, I would, I would lay my case before him. God would just bring it on, buddy, bring it on. And at the end, Job goes... I put my hand over my mouth, and God says, that would be great, but I'm not done yet. And then he come to the last chapter, 42. Job says, I know that the plans of God, they cannot be thwarted. Why did he say that? Because they had moved from talking about God to talking to God. You've got to do that. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My now 70-year-old sister gave me this. Several years ago. It's been sitting in my office for a long time. There are two things in the hands of a shepherd that bring a sense of peace and comfort to the flock. One is a rod. A rod is just a, a short bully club, about like that. And it is it is used to fend off any threats, any predators that may try to steal a lamb or something and an experienced shepherd becomes a master marksman with the rod. He is able to throw it at a distance and take out whatever the threat is. The staff is not what you see in the wonderful pictures of the shepherd carrying the lamb, and he's got this beautiful, well-groomed kind of bent thing, because trees don't grow like that in Israel. It's, it's just a, it is just is a longer stick by which he is able, when a lamb, a sheep starts to stray a little bit to reach out and kind of whack him on the hiney and say, you know, you need to kind of like get back in line. It's dangerous over there. Or a sheep, he's turned his back and it got caught in the bushes. And so he's able to reach in and free it from its entanglement and bring it back. He's also able to take pretty good care of snakes that crawl around on the ground and like to take sheep out by biting them on the snog. It's like There's two things in his hand. A rod for defense and a staff for direction. We have a rod and a staff in the hand of the Good Shepherd. It's called the Word of God and the Spirit of God. By the Word of God he directs us and defends us. And by the holy spirit he provides for us journeying protection you the shepherd prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies he 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 plans their need in advance it's the shepherd himself and not a hireling not a servant that makes certain that everything his flock needs he himself has provided and he invites them to the table, which is a portrait of fellowship and intimacy. So Jesus did that with Zacchaeus when he came down out of the tree. He said, get down out of the tree. I've got to have dinner at your house tonight. And all of, the, all of the holier-than-thou elder brother types were like, whoa, he's the friend of sinners. Should we be guilty of, wouldn't it be great if we were accused of that? It's the same one that when Lazarus was raised from the dead, they threw a feast and invited Jesus and everybody. He prepares a table of fellowship for us and he does it in the presence of our enemies and we sit down and we dine in peace because he's got our back. He's always protecting us. As long as we are in this world, we are an enemy territory, but we have a shepherd that has our back. And you anoint my head with oil, and what that is, is the anointing of the oil, is basically the sheep are harassed by flies that gather in their nostrils, and it, it drives them crazy, and if one sheep gets out of control, it's just like a preschool, Sunday school room, everybody's out of control, and so what the shepherd does is that he pours oil over their head, which then prevents the flies from harassing them. The oil poured has become in the Old Testament a symbol of the anointing of God on the head in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and my cup overflows, so he anoints my head for my good, for my peace, for my well-being, to keep the pesky Galatians 5, 19, the fruit of the flesh is, and to bring in its place the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, and patience. He does that. But then he gives a little extra, and the reason for the overflow is so that I can minister to others. I'm not simply a consumer. I'm a contributor. So he wraps it up with this. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. whether it's 95... 28, 10, or something in between. His goodness and mercy. Goodness speaks of His beauty, of the pleasantness of His character. It's how God shows His love for people. The perfection of His character is flawlessly good in all that He does. His mercy is His unconditional, unending love and faithfulness. So, wherever I go in my short life, following behind me are those two wonderful virtues of God. His goodness has my back and His mercy has my heart. All the days of my life. No PTO hours accumulated. No vacation built up. No side hustle. Shepherds care for their flock 24-7 and they don't hand them off to others. They care for them all through their lives. You want to know what a true shepherd looks like in our generation? Just quietly follow Pastor Mike for a week. That's what it is. Mike doesn't know what a four-day work week is. Mike doesn't know that there's an end to a 24-hour day. My shepherd faithfully leads me all the days of my life. Therefore, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, there comes a time when the temperatures change in the mountain meadows and the snow begins to fall and it's time to reverse the journey and go back to the folds for winter keeping there is a home prepared and it is the shepherd's job to bring us from the mountains back to the fold you see there comes a time at the end of every one of our lives i know this is a really a lousy way to start 2022 But all of us are going to die. But quite honestly, not all of us will actually die. Some will die. There are those who are born once and they have to die twice. They fear physical death and on the other side of the grave is an eternal death. It's a separation. Some of you have only been born once. The grave ought to scare the pee out of you. Because unless you're born twice, you will die twice. But there are those who are born twice. They have a physical birthday and they have a spiritual birthday. And they need fear, dying only once. And my now 92-year-old pastor friend from Michigan, had, I hadn't heard from him for about six weeks, so I called and his wife said that he... He can't remember to dial the phone anymore, Tom. We had to take the phone away. It was like I got a snail mail letter from him this week, thanking us for sending the sermons and all to him. The last time we were on the phone, Dewey said, have you ever noticed that in Corinthians six times, it doesn't talk about death in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about sleep, sleep. You see, so all of us are going to stop using this earthly tent sometime. Some of us way out, some of us closer. But for those that have been born twice, they don't die, they are more alive the moment they are ushered into Jesus' presence than they've ever been in this life. All the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a welcome place of safety were his lambs when he calls them home. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I'll receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. See, the good shepherd brings peace when we learn to recognize and respond trustingly to his voice. The shepherd doesn't lead with a stick. He leads with the quiet voice. And his flock learns to recognize his voice in the midst of all of the crazy noise of the world around them. And while they're grazing, they keep moving because they hear his voice. One of the reasons that we are overwhelmed by anxiety is because we have not yet learned to recognize His voice. How will I know it's His voice? You want to hear the voice of God? Read His word out loud. This is His voice. And you will find that in the early times, it doesn't seem to make much sense. It's not speaking much to your heart. But unlike the third or fourth reading through the book, suddenly you're going, I. That's the character of God. That's, that's the heart of my shepherd. That, that's, why am I afraid? When he talks about peace coming to us from God the Father and from He who is, who was, and who is to come. What are we afraid of? We've got a great song to close with so I've got to get out of here. Back in the day before there was television and NFL to distract us on Sunday afternoons and all other kinds of things, for entertainment they were traveling orators who would go from village to village and they would deliver great speeches. And at the end it was kind of a community thing and at the end they would always challenge a local to take the stage and try to compete with them. And the winner of the oratory was the one that received the loudest applause. It's a true story of a man who had mastered the 23rd Psalm. And he came to a small village. And he stood and all of the villagers were out because they had no television to distract them. And and he recited, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. And he did it with all kinds of dramatic fanfare and everything. And the place broke into applause at the end. They'd never heard Psalm 23 done that way before. And then he issued his challenge, is there anybody who would like to match that? And obviously the the place was totally silent except for one elderly gentleman way in the back. And he kind of stood to his feet and he says, sir, I, I think I'd like to try that. And he came down to the front and he haltingly began, the Lord is my shepherd I will not want. And when he got to the end and said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, there was an absolute silence. And then someone in the middle stood to their feet and started to clap. And soon the whole place was applauding. The order came back to the stage and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I know the 23rd Psalm, but this man knows the shepherd. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace.